from WDBM East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the Air. Joining you now, your Editor-in-Chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz. Hello, City Pulse listeners. This is Arts Editor Skylar Ashley filling in once again for publisher Burl Schwartz, who's enjoying a vacation to Mexico. But luckily for us, still here in Michigan, we've been enjoying some gorgeous weather of our own. Be sure to uh, get outside and soak it in and have some fun before we get stuck with one of our home state's wonderful springtime blizzards. Later on today's show, we'll hear a rare track from legendary Michigan rocker Bob Seeger, courtesy of City Pulse music writer Rich Topeka. But first, we're going to listen to reporter Todd Haywood's interview with none other than Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Haywood discusses the one-year anniversary of the coronavirus pandemic with Governor Whitmer and the impact it's had on her as she helms the extremely difficult task of guiding the state through a global pandemic. We're going to listen to that right now here on City Pulse on the Air on Impact 88.9 FM. Hey, Governor, how you doing? I'm doing all right. How you doing? I'm alive and kicking, so I can't complain. How's that? Have you gotten the vaccination yet? Uh, actually, because I had COVID and had such a terrible response to it and have terrible responses to other vaccines, I've been directed not to get the vaccine. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So, so no, I have not, but I'm telling everybody else to get it. Does yeah. that count? Well, I, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if, if, you know, obviously I've been thinking about you and I know, you know, you're all the the health challenges that you've navigated over the years and and so that that's interesting to know they told you not to get it i'm uh that's you're educating me yeah it's um it's because i've had other allergies as well to to like flu vaccines and whatnot so but let's not waste our time on me so i wanted what i'm working on is sort of you know it's the one year anniversary on march 10th it just so happens that that is also the day city pulse publishes and so we're kind of trying to, instead of just sort of doing that policy overview, we really wanted to talk to people who were key players in how the pandemic and the decisions that had to be made impacted them personally. So that's sort of where I'm going with this interview is looking at, you know, your governor of the state of Michigan, you suddenly have a pandemic in, in hand. How did that impact you? So I'll just start with the very first question being, you know, you found out about the first diagnoses in Michigan on March 10th on primary night. What was your initial sort of gut reaction? You know, we knew that it was a matter of time, not a question of if COVID showed up here in Michigan. And, you know, we had already engaged the Secret Operations Center. When it all came in, I mean, of course, you know, I was watching primary um, returns and it was like, everything just kind of fell, fell away and um, we went right into crisis management mode and frankly we're there for a long period of time much longer than anyone anticipated but I had that that sinking feeling in my gut like this is the beginning of what we don't know but we've got to harness everything we can do to get through this okay now as as the pandemic sort of increased and, and started overwhelming, uh, hospitals in Detroit, you did take executive actions to sort of slow things down in order to allow the, the systems to, to catch up. 
did you ever tour or or get video images of what was going on in those hospitals? You know, I um, I think this has been one of the most challenging things for someone like me and, and others like me. You know, I want to go right to where the problem is and give comfort to those that are suffering, give support to those that who are working. And in this moment, that's the last thing uh, that we could do, you know, because of the way the virus is spreading, because of um, how little PPE we had. I didn't want to waste any on me going and then being a distraction in these overwhelmed hospitals. So we resorted to like the world using technology to communicate, to get, you know, an understanding of what was happening. And um, it's a, it's, it's much better to be in person, but I was grateful that we had this technology. So I could look at into people's eyes and, you know, understand and ask questions and be there to answer questions and, and, and do that. So I did not ever physically into a hospital that was overwhelmed simply because it was the nature of the virus and the precious PPE that we didn't want to waste on, on me or the group that might travel with me. It just was not advisable. So Lieutenant Governor Gilchrist has been very open about having lost many people. I believe the number's 27. I have to go back and look at the interview. But yeah. Yeah, have, right. have you lost anybody to this pandemic? I have. I've lost a number of people. Um, you know, Morris Hood was a very dear friend of mine, former state senator. Um, there's a man named Greg Anderson, who my family's known for a long, long period of time. Uh, Isaac Robinson and, you know, Benny Napoleon, just to name four off the top of my head. So when somebody that you know dies, does that change the way you see and experience the numbers? Because it, it, what I've heard from, from other folks that I've interviewed, like Linda Vale and Dr. Shoyinka, is that it does have, for them, a change. It makes those numbers more real. Did that happen for you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I've talked to a lot of um, frontline workers and families who's lost loved ones. And to, uh, to hear someone else's excruciating story um, also, I, I think, puts a finer point on, on what what the real, what's really at stake here. And I know that there are, uh, you know, many who've not been touched by COVID and um, therefore, I think struggle to really empathize with, with what this fire, the, the incredibly awful toll this virus has taken on, on so many. Um, and I think that's one of our challenges when we see the, the numbers. It's hard to get your head around what that means. You know, we've got fifteen thousand six hundred Michiganders who, who died from COVID. Um, and that's such a big number that it's it's I think it's hard for people to get their heads around it. It's five nine eleven events, you know, in the last year. You know, I just I keep trying to figure out how do we how do we connect with people who haven't who've been fortunate enough not to have lost a loved one, um, but how do we make this real so that we can all rise to this challenge? This is City Pulse on the air on. 88.9 Impact FM. Let's return to Todd Haywood's interview with Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Within that same context, 
you did experience quite a bit of, of backlash and pushback on your executive orders, um, protests, etc. And out of those protests grew this alleged plot to kidnap you and kill you. Can you talk a little bit about how on a personal level, not a political level, on a personal level, how did those uh, the, those series of events impact you personally? Well, it's awful. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's awful. This the the backlash to measures that are that are informed by science and necessary to protect human life. The backlash to that that comes in the form of threats, death threats against me and and those close to me. It's just, you know, it's awful, um, and and it's ugly and it's disturbing, and yet, um, in this moment, I I don't have time to, <laughs> uh, you know, waste energy on it because I've got so much work to do here, and so I, I think it was kind of breathtaking in one regard and yet a, a moment that I had to kind of push aside so that we could stay focused on on doing what we needed to do to get our state through this tough time. Did it almost act as a distraction at points or it feel like it was a distraction? I, I mean, yes, I think that the politics, uh, uh, you know, that have been that, that have surrounded this public health crisis it created so much animosity and distress and mistrust that it's going to continue to undermine our efforts to get past this moment. And I think that's what's so frustrating because if we all could recognize the science and, and rally against our common enemy, we'd get through it faster and with a lot less pain. So from that, again, from that personal perspective, you know, we, we get the vaccine, but as you, you've heard the people who, who have been struggling to try and get access to the vaccine, you know, the, the 80 year old, the 75 year old, and, and they're just waiting and waiting. How does that impact you that you know that we have this sort of light at the end of the, the tunnel, but we don't have enough of it to get out there? Well, it's, um, I mean, it's frustrating for everyone, right? The, the last administration told the world we'd have 300,000 vaccines our first week here in Michigan. And so they created this expectation that they were never intent on or capable of fulfilling. Ultimately, we got 20% of what they promised us, which means we were not able to meet the expectations of the public that they had created, you know, this, this, you know, these, these huge expectations. And yet we want to, right? So we're moving our vaccines as fast as we can. We're working with our partners. We've made great strides at this, you know, as of the moment you and I are talking, we've got about 2.5 million uh, shots in arms. We're leading in that space, but we still don't have enough vaccines. It's all going in the right direction though. And so while people are, are frustrated, I know that, you know, within the next month, month and a half, uh, we will have 
more and more vaccines and and this will be a a moment a frustrating moment that that we will get past because everyone who wants a vaccine is going to be able to get one in the next couple of months and and so we're, we're going to continue to grit our teeth and and do the work knowing that we're in, headed in the right direction during this last year is there any one point that you specifically recall as that moment where all of this was just overwhelming i think you know there have been a couple of isolated moments where it, it, it has been really hard um i think when the dams burst in midland and i had to go to the seoc you know at night and that we're evacuating a city in the middle of a pandemic um you know ten thousand people i mean <laughs> I think that that was one of the moments where I, I just was like, oh, my gosh, this, you know, this too. <laughs> you know, I'm at the SEOC saying this is a once in a lifetime event, you know, again. Right. So we've got two once in a lifetime events on top of one another. Um, and I think, you know, Benny's death hit me real hard. You know, we've we were getting so close to vaccines and um the rollouts and and when he passed, it just, that was hard. As we move into this, everybody who wants a vaccine is going to be able to get a vaccine moment, which is going to be a couple of months along. What are you hoping we as a state can take out of both the division as well as sort of the togetherness, right? I mean, we, we, we did have a lot of people who rallied around on let's wear our masks, let's keep everybody safe. I mean, there was a lot of good people stepping up too. So what, what 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 will be the legacy, do you think, in two years of this last year? That's a good question. You know, what happens in the next couple of months is going to decide our economic, um, you know, how well we we rebound, right? If, if I will say that it's important to recognize people of our state, by and large, have taken this seriously and done their part. And for that, uh, we've got some of the lowest positivity numbers in, in the certainly in the region and in the nation for many of the months as well as um we we have the some of the highest vaccination rates so we're we're really doing well on the important metrics and it's because people have taken it seriously and done their part i think it, you know as we come out of this i know i'm going to continue trying to uh engage in dialogue with with people who don't automatically see the world the same way as me. I want to learn from them and I want to tell them, you know, I want to be able to to show them what what we did and why it was the right thing to do and why it made a difference. I also think coming out of this, we're going to be reevaluating um, our our investments in local public health. And I hope that we have learned our lesson that by depriving resources over long periods of time made it harder for us to rise to this challenge. And we have to make those investments. They're crucial and they benefit all of us. Um, and also, I think some of the ways that um, we have gotten smarter or um, better at um, delivering services uh, or doing our jobs, generally speaking, for the economy. I think there will be some lessons that come out of that, that maybe we can improve quality of life for our workforce, acknowledging we can do some of these things uh, from home at least part of the time, and maybe maybe that will help us make our workplaces more family-friendly and, and better for quality of life. Okay. This will be my last question because I know we're coming up on, you're going to be on CNN, so... Um, yep. uh, I, I, 
I guess sort of my my other question is, is I would be remiss if I did not talk about the racial equity concerns and how inequitably this virus impacted people of color and how that, I mean, we've seen sort of the policy response to that, but what was the personal response to that? Was, were you surprised to see such health disparities really within the, the pandemic? And how did that hit you as a human being? Well, you know, I, one of the things that, that we did um, when we formed, you know, created the administration and the leadership team, is we were really intentional about making sure that we had the best expertise and real representation. And so having Dr. Keldoon, um, you know, practically, I mean, figuratively by my side, every step of the way um, has been really important. You know, as a African-American ER doc, she was one of the first people to see the demographic data and say, we've got to get this out there. Um, if you look across our nation, it was Michigan, Louisiana, and Illinois that first shared our demographic data. And so that drove our efforts to do outreach to communities of color, the black community in particular, to help connect people with um, resources, but also to do an education effort so people knew how serious and how this virus spread and, and what it meant. Um, and so we meant, didn't just save lives in Michigan, we saved well beyond our borders because others learned from us. And I, I give Dr. J a lot of credit for that. She and the Lieutenant Governor um, co-chaired the Health Disparity Task Force which has informed a lot of our work and, and will continue to do so, frankly, going forward. And I think when 14% of our population has 40% of the deaths, it's undeniable that uh, the racial implications, that um, the, the racial disparities that have historically plagued our country um, are being magnified by this virus. And it was crucial that we, that we take it head on and We've saved a lot of lives because of it, and I'm I'm really proud of that work, and I credit Dr. J with it. Yeah, and, and were you shocked though when you started seeing those disparity numbers? Yeah, I was. I mean, the 14 percent of our population had 40 percent of the fatalities. That's that is shocking, and um, you know, I I know early on we were really trying to understand why is this virus having this impact and. There are a lot of reasons for it, um, but recognizing it, um, I think it was shocking. And, and frankly, all the work we've done has made you know much more equitable outcomes. But we've got lots more work to do. Okay. Anything I didn't ask you that you want to throw in there before you run off to go talk to Jake Taper, Tapper? Um, I don't think so. Bobby, anything I forgot? No, I think you nailed it. Thanks, Todd. And thank you to Governor Whitmer for taking the time to chat with us. This is City Pulse on the air, coming to you on 88.9 FM, The Impact.